thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. chat about the hottest topics that are important to you. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we have a special guest. Now, I have to say, I met, well, I can't say I met, I knew of Dr. Sarah Farrant, God, years before I met you. I had um, a very dear friend of mine working with me, and she was listening to all the things that I talked about in my seminars around mindset and physiology and psychology and you know, I would always say what starts in the mind manifests in the body. And I know that because I'm all about what goes on between our two ears. But I never really understood what it meant in the context of health because that's never been my field of speciality. Mm. And Donna gave me um, this book called The Vital Truth. And she said to me, you have to read it, you have to read it, you have to read it. And she chased me down <laughs> week after week saying, have you read it, have you read it, have you read it? Because your language is the same. I said, no, no, you know, I just haven't had the time. Anyway, I read The Vital Truth probably about a year ago. And I was, it was like I was reading um, a real confirmation of what and who, and who humanity really is. Not what we think we are, not the skin bag that we drag around with ourselves day in, day out, but who we truly are from an essence and an innate intelligence perspective. And it was, it, was, it was extraordinary to read your words. It was extraordinary to read your, your take on um, innate intelligence, power, force. It was just it was extraordinary to read the way that you combined that message. It, was, it, it made my heart sing, mm. actually. And then... Mm. I did my own book launch for Soul Survivor and Cindy Breeze is in like a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) But she breezes in with her entourage. (laughs) And, you know, it was such a whirlwind night for me that she introduced me to you, but I didn't have time to sit and really tell you what I I felt about you and and my thoughts about your message and, Mm -hmm. and, and who you are. And I'm so grateful that once again Cindy's brought magic into our lives because Mm. today I actually get a chance to tell you how amazing you actually Mm. are and how extraordinary and necessary your message is Mm. for all of humanity, not just people who follow you from a chiropractic perspective or people who follow you from, you know, what you do when we're obviously we're going to talk more about what you do, but I think what your message, your message, it's, we're ready for it. Yeah. As humanity, we're ready for it. Mm-hmm. And I experience it just from the level that I interact um, with people. And it's, it, I just, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for participating in this with us because not only is it a treat for us, but it's bloody necessary. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, listeners, I just said the bloody word. And, and again, <laughs> yeah, I just, yes, I did. Yes, yes, that, yes, yes, I did. Yes, yes. But it is, it's, 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 there's no other word. Well, I could even become more extreme and more expletive, but it's really necessary. And it's, um, and, and we're waiting. I agree with you entirely because, um, I've known Sarah for many years and we've done road trips together. Sarah thinks differently and we need 
people that are thinking differently because the the way out of the problems that we have today is not thinking the same. We no. have to have you know, people that are thinking differently. And and whenever I have a road trip with Sarah, <laughs> oh, my gosh. it's And sometimes it can be five and six hours and we don't shut up. But what she comes out with, yeah. No, we don't. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we have, like, eight hours in the car? And... <laughs> Yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 right, right. You know what it's like. Welcome to the club. But it, it's <laughs> like when I, when I, you know, ride with you two, is it, it's, it's what you guys come up with. You go, where'd that come from? It's like downloading. It's yeah. almost like a download. So that's what you are for me, Sarah. You're my ultimate thinker. You know, you think so differently that I get these amazing ahas every time I talk. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to letting you <her> talk. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that with us. You three. better button now. <laughs> tell us, Sarah, who you are. Give us your background. Tell oh us all gosh. about you. Let oh. the world know who you are in the next, we've got 56 minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I Thank you so much, Karen, for that beautiful um, introduction. I really, uh, I appreciate that. And sometimes you don't really know how you're touching people's lives until someone actually tells you. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and Cindy, we won't have any conversations about the driving. Um, she's a directional Nazi. Really? Um, yes. Oh, you didn't know that? No. <laughs> no, 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 that's you, didn't, you too? Yeah. yeah no, I didn't, didn't pick that up. Not. It's so oh, funny. God, we've got to tell oh. them about our road trips. Okay. Because I drive. <laughs> she directs. And we always, well, oh, we don't so, always, but yeah. we do get lost occasionally. I go, give me that thing. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't pretty You're last time. You're not a great navigator? No. Apparently not. <laughs> you thought you were originally, but after yes. you drive with Cindy, you yeah. realise, yeah, no, I've got nothing. Yeah. Well, she, actually, I didn't know where I was coming this morning to the podcast pound. And, and I said to her, what's the address? And she gave me the directions. And I said, well, let's just say that if changing habits, you know, falls through, at least you can go into giving people directions. <laughs> She did it perfectly. It was like this. I said, go to the BP, turn left, go to the end of the road, turn right, second on your right, turn right, go to the right, it's on your left. That was it. Oh, my God. It was quite hilarious. You lost me at BP. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, my, my journey actually started at the age of four, and I was um, sitting at... Um, home on the couch with my mum and dad and there was a press release that had just gone on the TV and we all sat down as a family and watched it. And as a four-year-old, I sat there looking at this man on TV and he was dressed in all of his um, surgery clothes and he had these microphones in his face and, and he was talking about the first brain surgery that he'd performed of, of, of its kind. And I sat there as a four-year-old going, how could he top your head and look look inside and, and, and see the brain and do whatever you need to do so the person up and the person's still alive the next day. So from that day forth, I said to myself and mum and dad who were sitting on the couch, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. And <laughs> as I got into school... <laughs> what is just what, what four-year-old four wants to be a brain surgeon? <laughs> Only Sarah. Only Sarah. <laughs> and, um, and then as I started going through school, obviously things started to... Um, challenge me in, in my English and my reading and my writing and my comprehension. I was left-handed and I would smudge my work and I would get the knuckles for, you know, not having good work. I mean, this is only going back to the 70s. I'm not going back to the 60s yeah, or She's 50s. not that old. I'm just, not that old. Just noting. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
And anyway, as I was going through school and I was more challenged and more challenged, there was this amazing lady that came into my life and her name was Miss Claire. And if she was alive today, I don't know if she's alive. If she ever listens to this, I, I hope she does. But I'd, you know, send her a huge amount of grateful thanks mm-hmm. because she was this lady who had this little room in the school that I went to, private girls' school. So they had all the ancillary, you know, all the different facilities that you could go and, and use. She had this little brown door on the other side of the oval, the junior oval. And I remember so clearly being called out every day in the front of class, Sarah, it's time to go to Miss Claire. And everyone knew who Miss Claire was. Miss Claire was the dancer's teacher. So in the playground, I'd get, you're the dance and you don't know, you know, you're not good at English or you're not good at, you know, maths. That's usually what I went to her for. So on the other side of um, the classrooms were over here and Miss Claire's door was on the other side of the oval so as my name got called I would pick up my vanilla uh, my manila folder and I would walk out of the classroom and as soon it was a pebbled pathway and as soon as my foot would hit the grass my head would go down I would beeline to Miss Claire's door and I would say to myself I will be a doctor and change people's lives I will be a doctor and change people's lives for 12 years of my school life And as I went through and I came into the senior years of schooling, that's when I became very uh, physical in my body. I was very good at tennis. I could throw the furthest. I could hit the farthest. I could, you know, run fast, etc. And that's when I started to get into sport. And then I was in the... Australian rowing team for a period of time living at the Australian Institute of Sport and still didn't lose that vision of I want to be a doctor and change people's lives. However... It wasn't necessarily the brain surgeon as such. And then I retired from the Australian rowing team and then I was um, studying physical education. And once I finished that, I didn't actually go in to teach. I found other elite athletes that wanted to know what I was doing with strength and conditioning. And so I trained the world aerobics champions and national basketball players and Australian touch ball players. Then I was back at the Australian Institute of Sport lecturing on talent identification and how to find these people and, and who they were and what unique personalities they would they would have in order to be a success and get a gold medal for the country, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then at that same time when I was working with those elite athletes, I was like, well, why is it that you can't visualise, you know, hitting a volley over the net? Why is it that you can't visualise yourself throwing that ball to the next person or doing the basketball or doing the aerobics? And so that's when I got into psychology and it's when um, sports psychology was quite hip, I guess, at the time and studied psychology and as I was just finishing psychology, that's when I met a husband and wife couple who were also chiropractors and they had become our good friends for many, many years, and they were moving to Tasmania. And they said, we all went out for dinner, and I sat next to Ken, and I don't know, you know when, when you have that divine guidance, and so I said to Ken, you know what, if you had the chance to study again, where would you go? He said, oh, I'd go to Palmer College. I'm like, Palmer? Where's Palmer? And he said, oh, it's the founding school of the profession in the Midwest and the USA in Iowa. And I was like, all right. Didn't think anything more of it at the dinner. Went on, had a great dinner. The next day, I drove out to La Trobe University in Melbourne, downloaded as much information that I could on um, Palmer College, went out to the quadrangle, sat there, read this wad of information, and on that it had 
um, health as um, innate intelligence, and it mentioned universal intelligence, and it mentioned um, health as optimum physical, mental, and social well-being, and not necessarily the absence of a disease or infirmity. And it had printed out because it was very generic how you could print pages out in those days. It was 1990s, and the internet only just got up. So in the top right-hand corner of that page, it was like, click here for the Doctor of Chiropractic program. And then I just howled. And I went, that's it. That's the four-year-old going to work with the brain, the body, and that I'm not doing surgery, but I'm working with people in a different way. So I went home to my husband and I said, we can do one of three things. We can get divorced. (laughs) We can have a long-distance relationship. Or you can come with me. And I whacked the water on the kitchen bench and I said, I'm going. Stay or come. Either way, but this was the four-year-old talking, you, you know, like, and he kind of ummed and ahed, walked around the house that we just bought, well, you know, drove the new car that we just got, and um, anyway, it took him, you know, three painful months to make his decision because I was out of there, um, and then we went and we didn't, you know, didn't look back from the whole journey that we had there. How long ago was that? Ah, uh, that was nineteen ninety. Seven or eight. I think it was eight. Kim, yeah, nineteen ninety-eight. And and what did you learn going through chiropractic college? What was what was oh the key gosh. things that you could really say that you got from chiropractic? Uh, there's so there really is so many. It's it's like when you when you sit on that border of chaos and order. That's kind of what it was like for me. It was uh, um, when I went there, I felt lied to. I felt not at not a college in terms of everything that came before that moment of going and studying oh, chiropractic. Yeah. I felt lied to. I felt um, I lived in a bubble. I felt I didn't ask uh, the appropriate questions that necessarily would open the doors. Um, and so I made it my mission when I got out to break those bubbles for people to say stop, stop. You know, what, how are you interpreting health? And how you interpret health is usually the level of health that you have. So, um, and that's why the vital truth really got written was as, um, as I started to obviously bring children into the world, I wanted to continue to adjust people's minds. So I wasn't physically doing it. I was just taking it now and putting it on paper. And that was a massive effort to write that book because for someone that had grown up with a stigma with, can't read, can't write, can't comprehend, read my first book in my 30s and I'm now in my mid-40s, that to suddenly sit down and and uh, have an energy squeezing your hands and have what felt like someone pushing you in, the, in your back and every time I went to write something, I couldn't do it. And then my husband said, Randall said to me, let's go and get a laptop. It, that will make it easy for you. So we went out that day, bought a new laptop and I sat down and then I just... It just came through me, and then before I knew it, I had three thousand words, and I thought, "Well, I only need like forty thousand more, and I got a book." <laughs> so, true. so you know, that's kind of how it. So, if you go back to your question about what I learned, certainly the book shares that, but but it was more about innate intelligence, the universal intelligence that we uh, to to think that health comes to us from outside of our body is doing a grave disservice for the body that we have and its ability to to function at a at an optimum level. I want you to repeat that because I think uh, what did I say? <laughs> no. Uh, all right, I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. You know, it should definitely You did. You definitely yeah. did because it is about it's a disservice to think that health comes from the outside of our I love body. That. Yeah. 
because I, I actually, a lot of people don't realise this. They think that everything comes from the outside of their body mm. and that they'll feel better by outside things, but it's actually mm. all internal. So mm. I, just, I just wanted people to, I think to that, get that. I think that's a really <coughs> important point because I think that for, um, for humans, I think, and, and, and what you were talking about, Sarah, earlier in that before you went to college, you didn't realise the conditioning, you didn't realise the education process mm-hmm. that we have as society that keeps us in a state of not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do know what, you've done, what you don't know or you haven't known, it, it's almost like this great light Absolutely. is shed on the world where you can participate Whereas I think when we're looking for our answers outside of ourselves, it's a non-participatory model. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, for me it goes beyond even just being a disservice. It's delusional mm-hmm. because our lives and who we are is a direct reflection of our ability and willingness to participate with it and to be present with it. And I think that our conditioning and our... And our behavioural mechanisms as humanity is to be non-participatory, is to always rely on somebody else or something else. And I don't know, I mean, I can speculate on where that came from and why that's the case, but, I mean, that's a whole other conversation around politics. Um, But I think that as humans, we have a responsibility not just to each other but to ourselves. I think think this is why I think what you've got in the book and who you are and your message is so crucial and so vital because we're we're ready. I think humans are ready. We're ready to lift the lid. We're ready to open our eyes. We're ready to say, okay, I'm willing, show me. But not all humans. No, but I think that there's a vast majority. I think there's a movement being created and there are certainly people like you, Cindy, and and Sarah and Kim and, and, and even me, I yeah. think that there are people who are standing at the forefront of that movement, mm. for sure. Mm. But I think even our listeners listening to these podcasts, they are a huge contributor to the ripple effect that we can all create by participating yeah. Yeah. And, and, and recognising that it's in... What, what do they say? It's um, above, down, above inside, down, inside, inside out. out. Yeah, mm. ADO. It's just, yeah. it's just exceptional. Principle, yeah. Yeah, so just on that principle, I mean, for me growing up, chiropractic was not a part of my mm. upbringing. I didn't know anything about it. In fact, I was almost brought up to believe that chiropractic was a bunch of back-cracking, mm-hmm. money-taking mm. um, quacks. Mm. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we go, in, go into that. So yeah. that's probably a good question. Yeah. 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 So, good thing you brought up the quack word. Yeah. Yeah. But but really, could you, I mean, I'm sure, and certainly that's not how I feel today, thanks to being educated around Mm. what it is, Um, but perhaps could you just give us an understanding of what is chiropractic and what is this vital, as opposed to mechanism, uh, vitalism versus versus mechanism? Okay. Great question. I got it. Got the question. Great. Let's. How about if we start here with this understanding of how we see health? Because that's going to help, I think, the listeners kind of go on this journey with us to understanding the vitalism and mechanistic um, approaches to health. When our second boy was born, Rui, I decided, and I thought for many, uh, for for many months, if not many years, in serving people and providing chiropractic adjustments, that. People and parents were coming in more and more with these, um, this whole kind of like a, a this feeling of 
if I don't do this, Sarah, I've mm. been told to do this by the allopathic approach. Yeah. I'm an irresponsible parent or I'm not a good parent. So they're coming in to receive adjustments with laden with this guilt and getting two different messages. So I wanted to find out, well, what is it that people, not not different professions, but people think health is? You know, mm. what is it? So I went and sto- stood on the, the um, corner in our local shopping mall, just up at the Sunshine Plaza, and I stopped anyone that walked past me to say, what is health? Mm. And most people would say, well, these were the top five responses. Health is having no pain, health is having no signs, having no symptoms, eating right, exercising and being happy. And I went, when I collated all of that and I went back home and I was sitting in my study and I put them all out, you know, put all the ducks in a line and I just went, oh my God, everybody I interviewed that day thinks health is about how you feel Mm. and not about how you function. Yeah, yeah. So if it's not about how you... If it's not about how you function according to them, then how is it about how you feel? And then I thought, well, if that is how people are interpreting, let's take the picture wider. So I went and looked at um, the front of a chemist. I went and looked at supermarket shelves. I went and looked at um, sporting stores. I went and looked at magazines and print media. And you know what? It was all about how you feel and nothing to do with how you function. And it wasn't until kind of like cut two of, you know, probably eight, five, eight, um, maybe about eight or nine years later that I then started to write about these different approaches to health. So we can all say here, and, and, and our listeners too, that there are many, many health professions. We get that, yes? Would we all agree? Yeah. yeah. yeah that there's, <coughs> there's tons. However, there's only three health approaches. Correct. And the health approaches go like this, because when you start to break them down and you start to see the Latin interpretation of them, it's massive. So, And I got this all downloaded when I started to um, establish Vital Mums, which, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the first health approach is called the allopathic approach. Now, when you look at pathic and you break down the word pathic in terms of the Latin derivative, then it means remaining passive. And this is what you were just talking about, Mm. Karen, where you would go to someone to get something to take something away. You also are a passive participant Mm. in the search for your health because you think that it's missing. It's gone. (laughs) So in order to get that back based on how we feel... You're going to go to someone to get something to take something away. You can also lay the blame. If it's not going the way you want it to go, guess what? You're pointing the finger. Even though there's three pointing back, it doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're going there. So in other words, the allopathic approach to health says that in remaining passive and searching for something outside of your body, that your body must be incomplete in some way. So we buy into this illusionary understanding that that let's let's have your listeners for for a minute and you can all do it in do it in the air for me. Draw a line from left to right across a piece of paper, and then above the line you would write healthy, and below the line you would write unhealthy, and the line in the middle is just called towing the line. <laughs> so. All you end up doing when you buy into a remaining passive go-to someone to get something, to take something away, is you just peter around this line based on how you feel. I don't feel well. I've dropped below the line. I'm unhealthy. I've got to get something. It's going to pop me back. Guess what? I'm now healthy. 
Woohoo, great, don't have any signs and symptoms. But based on a Dorland's Medical Dictionary of of health, that definition, health says that you um, is healthy is optimum physical, mental and social well-being and not necessarily the absence of disease or infirmity. Mm. So when you get above that line, you're nowhere near the optimum level that you can be at. You've just popped above it to stop you from having the signs and symptoms because that's the model that you've bought into. It's like a family recipe in an Italian family, right? I think we shared about this um, one day, Cindy. And in an Italian family, that family bolognese recipe is not handed down to anyone on paper. All it's done is that you'll get the granddaughter and the mother, you'll stand beside the great-grandmother and she'll tell you how to do the family recipe. So in doing the family recipe, you learn by action and observation, not even by the words that are spoken at some stage, in some, in some instances, you learn how to make that bolognese recipe. And then you have kids and you teach that same recipe. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same with, um, with the children. If, if a child falls over and grazes their knee... What do, we, what do we do? We grab them and hug them. I'm all for the hug. That's fine. I, I'm quite happy to share the love. Hold them. And then what they do is mum will go and get... Dettol or something. Dettol or a rag to wipe the blood away, not knowing that the body actually creates the flow of blood innately to move away the dirt that was there in the first place in order to then form the scab. That takes about two minutes. But what we do is we wipe it away. We then go to the medicine cabinet that the kid now sees that there's lots of stuff in this medicine cabinet. The mum gets the Band-Aid, comes back and puts the Band-Aid on, as well as putting it on, anchors the word directly in the kid's eyes, this will make you feel better. This is going to help it. So she's demonstrating through all of her actions and the language that she uses this allopathic remain passive, your body's incapable approach to health. That's the illusion that I think we get caught in. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, I just love that whole explanation of it because when you explain it like that, I think it makes people kind of stop and think, oh, I've never thought about it that way. And the lame, lame, like the blame, you know, we talk about this a lot, don't we? Mm. The, you know, when you blame, blaming other people, what, what are people in the allopathic blaming? Are they blaming a chemical that they may have been come into contact with? What, what, are, what are they blaming? I can't even... Okay, so here's what they blame. They blame the diagnosis. So they'll go back to the doctor, you diagnose me incorrectly. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If we break down the word diagnosis, dia means two, is in Latin, dia means two, and agnosia means don't know. It's two people <laughs> who don't You said know. that in our last podcast. Because <laughs> I, mean, I heard it from her. <laughs> So, so when you when you enter into this illusionary system where you think that, or indoctrinated system where you think that you are getting health, mm. um, it, it has nothing to do with health, but everything to do with masking, you know, what it is that we feel that we have because we don't know that health is actually about how you function and not about how you. How you feel. Yeah. And, and diagnosis. Uh, Sarah, look, we're all like going, so diagnosis. They're crowding me in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but diagnosis is all about symptom, right? symptoms, mm. isn't it? Yeah. It's not about feeling. Mm, interesting. It's well, because then, then no. it's just a fix. Mm. Yeah. And then what happens is with the diagnosis, you have this, 
according to what my either refidex says or what my education has been. Mm. The medical model. And then that just that's the same as the Band-Aid being planted. You then now get to change your own physiology and, as we all know, you live to that label. Mm. And then we become addicted to that label and then it becomes hard to change that label because in changing that label it's like, oh, well, I, I've now got to stop getting the benefit of whatever it was from having that label, regardless of what it is, from a cut to... To, uh, to cancer. Mm. Yeah, we talk about that a lot in that um, we, do, we do live up to our diagnosis and we get a payoff out of it because, it, mm-hmm. again, it gives us an excuse to not participate mm-hmm. because I either get attention or I don't have to be responsible. We're, again, we're not participating in our own form of health. Yeah. And I think that that's the saddest thing. We've done it to ourselves, and if we knew better, we would have done better, right? I, I really do get that. I think we didn't know. We, when, the, when the whole med- medical model was born, mm. uh, we were convinced that that was the way to go. Mm. And because we didn't know what else to do because we were dying so young and all of those sorts of things, you know, back in the days, uh, we did the best that we knew how to do. But mm-hmm. I think that the magic exists now is the, is the re-education mm-hmm. um, or the uneducation and then the re education around it because I don't think it's just a case of learning something new I think it's a case of actually um taking away Mm -hmm. before we re-educate and I I I was I was coaching a doctor um and he's he was a a guy who's you know spent his entire life as a doctor he was 70 he's he's gone back to London now he's an amazing man but he was ready to put his whole um uh, license on the line and be disbarred because he really wanted the public to know that the doctors don't know how to um, prescribe outside of the, the medical model. Mm-hmm. And he would stand on stage with a big square box and he'd have a balloon. <coughs> and you were the balloon and the square box is the medical model. And he'd try and shove the balloon into the box. Oh. And he would, that would be his example of saying, you come in with all of this stuff and we have oh. to try and fit it inside this box. Mm. And traditionally, the people who have gone down that medical model um, educational path, traditionally think inside a frame. Mm. So, you know, and they're educated that that's the way to go. So they're always looking for ways the medical model or how they can fit the person into the medical model. And his whole um, uh, explanation around the medical model was that it's flawed. Mm. The whole premise of it is flawed because it's not taking into account the holisticness of the human being. Mm. It's not taking into account the human being's ability to innately heal itself. It's not taking into account the human being's ability to create the issue through thought. Mm-hmm. It's not taking into account, account the, human, the human's ability to perpetuate illness mm. um, because of payoff and benefit <clears throat> and all that. So he said the medical model simply doesn't account for that. And, and just, just your, your analogy on the balloon, just what came to me is sometimes when we talk to allopathic practitioners and things, I actually walk out of there feeling very deflated. You know, like, <laughs> because like, you've been robbed but, of your ability to participate, my But life. also I feel like they deflate you to fit you in the box almost. Like that's just what came to me as you were yeah. talking then, that yeah. then all of a sudden my vital own, even my own questioning, mm. and, and I'm not a medical doctor, I'm, mm. I don't know, but mm. I ask all the time, but mm. often I've walked out of there feeling like 
I'm a nutcase. Mm. Or they make you, and I'm, I'm sure, like you say, they, if they knew better, they'd do better. So how, how can you give us yeah. some ways, again, we will get to explaining what is yeah. chiropractic and yeah. the difference. How, do, how could you teach us who are not medical to learn how to question or to find our own vitalistic way yeah. of asking the questions or reframing yeah. what is seen as a negative into something positive? Yeah. Okay, so um, and that's a great that's a great question. It's one a question that I get asked a lot actually, and it has to do with the three health, the, you know, certainly with the three health approaches. So what and, are the and other if, two? Yeah, can I can I yeah. can I get back because it kind of ties in. So the let me let me frame it in this way. The the first one that we spoke about is the allopathic approach. But let me just do this as a disclaimer, that all three of these approaches mm. are necessary because mm. they all exist. Yeah. So if this is not about a denigration to the allopathic approach. It's just not where I've chosen to enter the health arena. Kind of if we look at it like a triangle, health's in the centre. I'm not using the allopathic prong to come and play. I'm using a different, a, a different prong. Some people use the allopathic approach and they're ready to move to the other two health approaches, the alternative and the alternate. However, they're too scared to go there because they don't know what it looks like. So then we stay... And it um, questions, it questions their, their belief systems too, I think, to, to explore. But I think it would be well, wonderful that, if we did have people who were um, you know, educated in all areas because that's holistic, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh, I think that the holistic part of it, no, I don't think that, no, I, don't, I actually, no, I, I don't agree that that's the holistic part of it because each health approach is so separate and so unique on its, on its own. The holistic part of it is a part of the health understanding. It's not part of the, it's not part of a health approach. D- does that make sense? So you wouldn't get somebody who would be across all three? No, that's and, when you and- confuse the consumer. So let me share this principle, and it's a principle that comes from Plato, and it's the principle called the one and the many and the many and the one. When you're the one, you're looking to regulate, be a part of, um, own, discredit, whatever it may be, the many. And when you're part of the many, you want to be the one. So you'll sell out on the things you know to be true and real to you, in order to be the one. Let me give you it a diff- in a different way. In a relationship, if you're not in a relationship and you're single, you're part of the many looking for the one. When you have the one and you're in a marriage, all of a sudden it's like, oh, look at all those many. They look really good, right? Okay? So you get that. You know, do you know what I mean? When you're the one, you want the many. When you're part of the many... I'm glad you said looking. Yeah. <laughs> when you're part of the many, you want to be the one. And here's, here's the challenge. When... When you're a health consumer that is in the allopathic approach to health and you want to go into the alternative. Now, native means in Latin offering a choice. It's doing exactly the same thing. And I looked at language, beliefs, philosophy, idiosyncrasies, clothing, um, design, um, you know, a, a ton of different other little criteria in terms of what makes all of these different health approaches unique. And when you look at the alternative, the only thing that started to differentiate them from the allopathic approach in terms of philosophy was they started to creep in this understanding of an innate intelligence. However, 
you're still going to someone to get something to take something away. You're just getting yeah. a herb, a potion, a, 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 a vitamin, a, a rub, whatever it is. Instead of an antibiotic. To take something away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So instead mm-hmm. of, or instead of aspirin, you get willow bark. So it's just a, it's a substitute, and that's exactly what alternative means, offering a choice. So everything that we said in the allopathic is the same in the alternative. So there's still a diagnosis. Mm. Still a there's diagnosis. There's still a treatment. Yeah. There's still the same terms. Yes. But we're just offered a choice. Yeah. And you raise a, a, a great word there, Cindy, and treatment, when we look at that, in um, Latin, treat is treat, and meant is mind, or deal with. So all we're doing is treat, being deal with, meant being mind. All we're doing is dealing with the mind. So if we go back to that example of towing the line, you drop below, it's about how you feel. I can give you a drug that's going to alter what's happening and how you think. Now you think that you're healthy because it's not there anymore because we've essentially numbed a part of you. That pops you above the line. That's got my treatment. I'm only dealing with my mind. So then we have, so we've got the allopathic, we've got the alternative, and then we've got the alternate. For years, there was only those two health approaches, that there was the complementary and alternative medicine, and everything was a modality or an adjunct to the allopathic profession. And then I said, you know what, no, chiropractic actually is not that. We are a separate and distinct profession. And there might be other professionals out there in, in, our, in, in the listening, listening land that might be health professionals that want to pluck their own profession out and, and give it a name. But So I plucked chiropractic out of that alternative bucket and I said, well, let's give this health approach a name because um, as a profession it's called uh, chiropractic. And I, so I named it Alternate. And Nate means inborn in Latin. So in order for someone, going back to that question of how do people kind of move around these health approaches, that if you go from the allopathic approach to the alternate approach, and like you said at the very beginning, Cindy, that you can't have, you can't have, you can't go somewhere with the same level of thinking that you did when you first, you know, started asking that question. Because if you take your understanding of the allopathic health approach, remaining passive, going to someone to get something to take something away, and you step into the alternate health approach arena, then it looks so starkly different. Mm-hmm. That that's when the quackery, you know, comes out and um, they're unscientific and they're not valid and they don't know what they're doing. And it's just and, and that's not true at all. Based on an allopathic understanding, you might think that. But based on an alternate understanding, we don't do that. It, it's so completely different in terms of how it looks. However, it's still one of the prongs of the triangle and completely valid given its own research, its own understanding and the own uniqueness. So based on the alternate approach to health, we look at the health as complete, we look at the body as complete, that it has everything it requires in order to reach um, optimum health expression. And the optimum health expression comes via three areas. So we go via the, um, the physical, the chemical and the emotional or what I call the three T's, thoughts, trauma and toxins. So the thoughts, trauma and toxins or the physical, chemical and emotional has an impact on our body that alters our physiology and altering our physiology. It changes how we express through our nerve system. We then create the signs and symptoms. Those give us an opportunity to ask different questions. Why did I create this in the first place? Where am I at in my life? What am I suppressing that um, or what, what am I suppressing that my kids might be expressing that's creating another you know, dramatic response in my body. So it's a, it's a, um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an opportunity to 
I think, to um, when we look at those three T's, to really start to ask ourselves those questions of, um, one, um, Kim, that you are asking before, um, do we trust our body? You know, because one's based on fear, the allopathic approach, and one's based on trust, that you are absolutely a self-healing, self-regulating um, self organism that's constantly adapting to your environment. And um, for as long as you have that adaptation, that's going to create those signs and symptoms as well, because in creating those signs and symptoms, we get an opportunity to reach a different level in our health expression. I think the way you've just described <laughs> it is so poignant, especially as a mother. And we've just had an exact example I shared with you before mm. we started recording. This mm. week, the three of us, my husband's away, but Taylor, Jacob and I have all had a vomiting bug. It just came on very suddenly. Yes. And we obviously ate something. Well, that's what we feel like we did because none of us had any other reason to get it and why all three at the same time. But I was explaining to these guys beforehand that it was like a symphony here the night before last <laughs> um, with each of us throwing up yeah. in different rooms, one in a bucket and one in each toilet. It was, it was hilarious, really. At the time, it's not so funny. But I remember saying to the children after listening to you and after reading your books and, and really getting... It's, it's, it's been quite a different mindset for me mm -hmm. to express this to my children, yeah. that this is fantastic. Yeah. Jacob came and laid with me on the bed and he was burning. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, mummy, I'm so hot. I went, I know. So we put the fan on. I got my oils out and we did a compress. I had mm -hmm. them on me. And it's hard to look after a kid when you're sick. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to do that and I'm rubbing Taylor and... And then in the end, actually, while I was looking after Jacob, Taylor got up and came into my room, put the oils on in here, got my room organized. Like, it was yeah. just this beautiful combination of the three of us. But I kept saying to them, our bodies are fantastic, yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as I'm hurling. Yeah. Look what our bodies don't want, whatever we've eaten. It's yeah. actually working beautifully. It's prioritizing, yeah. And, and as Dr. Farrant would say, we're having a health expression. <laughs> <laughs> Not having, created. We created a health expression. Did we? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, because that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, so we've actually, so our bodies are, have, have gone into a master mode. Yeah. To, and, it's, and I've gone, but Taylor's gone, why am I so hot? And I went, because your body's burning off this yeah. bug that's yeah. come. Is that what, you know, because I've always got people always, you know, even in our community going, oh, what's wrong with, you know, they're in pain. What's wrong with giving them a bit of Pamela, for God's mm. sake? You know, mm. like, mm. What, like, what's your approach there? How do we as mothers feel like we're not going to kill our child mm. um, because we've got this allopathic upbringing mm -hmm. that says you should never let a child burn mm. to that temperature or mm. whatever? Well, they'll, they'll, what's the, it, what, I thought they I've died. Stopped. I thought that a kid dies if he gets over 40 degrees or something or they'll have a convulsion or that yeah, it's yeah, a fear yeah. isn't it it's fear. Fear. It's the latest the latest you could go to vital moms and read the blog that i wrote about on fevers and has all the latest research okay, out of right. out of um lancet as well um even the medical profession is saying you know don't drug a child usually it's only a problem if there's a pre-existing ironically neurological challenge within the child so, um, so anyway, to go to your, your question of the health expression, because I love that. I love it. I love that you were coming from a different perspective for your children to say, wow, isn't the body unique and amazing how it's prioritizing the best way to get whatever's inside out. And um, I'll, give you a, I'll, I'll give you an example. When Annam, Annam's, oh, 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 let, me, let me backtrack once because this will give you a, an understanding as to why I love asking questions. At the age of seven, my dad, um, a situation occurred in the family and my, my dad came and knelt down in front of me and he placed his hand over my heart and he said to me, Sarah, you have all the answers inside of you. All you have to do is ask the questions and trust your answers. 
And from that day going forward, and I didn't realise the impact at the age of seven, but I realised that at the... I get goosebumps. Yeah, I've got goosebumps. I I realised that at the age of 10, when I coughed, when my mum was doing some baking, and she grabbed the closest blanket she could out of the cupboard, the beater went off, she, you know, (laughs) turned the oven off, wrapped me up, basically carried me as a 10-year-old to the car, put me in the car, zoomed me up to my uncles, because we come from a lineage of medical doctors in the family, up to my uncles, we got family privileges, we got seen to straight away, what does she have, what do I need? We then drove to our other good family friends, David and Heather. They owned the pharmacy. We got the prescription fulfilled. Kid you not. And again, like you were saying, you only do what you, you do at That's the time right. with the knowledge yeah, that you have. Yeah. So this is not degrading to my mum. I sat in the car. It was pouring with rain. Mum went in to get the more moxillin prescription fulfilled. And I sat there and I was transported back to that particular day sitting on the end of my bed. I'm sitting on the end of the bed and um, Dad placing his hand over my heart saying you have all the questions inside of you, all, all the answers inside of you, all you've got to do is ask the questions and trust your answer. So as I'm sitting in the car, Mum's fulfilling the prescription, I'm like, well, well, well what do I want to do? <laughs> and the answer that came back was rest. Chiropractic was not in our life, so I couldn't say to Mum, I want to go and get adjusted. Um, it came back rest. So we got home and mum, you know, happy that we're going to nip this in the bud and it's not going to go any further and gets a glass of water, pops the wipe tablet, slides it across the, the kitchen bench top. And I look at her and I went, no thanks, I'm going to go and rest. So I went round to my bedroom and I lay on the bed and I rested. And from that day forward, I rarely told my mum and dad about something that was going on in my body. I just, I was constantly asking those questions, why? Why, why is this? What's the experience? I've always been open to having, you know, the experience. And so when we decided, my help, myself and my husband decided to bring kids into the world, I said to him, well, if we're not, we don't do allopathic. We only do alternate. We don't even do alternative. So we've got to devise a whole new language that goes with, you know, this understanding. So the first word obviously was sickness because I know that they would go through that and they would then, you know, enter in dynamics with other children and families that would use that vocabulary. So we, um, I just, when I was writing the book actually, I think chapter five was like a, on a continuum or something like that and, and I looked at the whole health continuum and came up with this substitute word being health expression. So instead of sickness, we were looking at health expression and Annam, who is our eldest boy, this is the example I wanted to share with you. At the age of five, just before we were moving to New Zealand, he was laying on his bed and he was writhing and he was um, uh, he was kind of mo- he was kind of moaning and and uh, lying on the bed. And I said to my husband, "I'm just going to go and check on Annam." So I went round to Annam's room, and he's sure enough, he's kicked off the sheets and he's lying there and he's writhing. And I knelt down beside him and I put my my hand firmly on his forearm much like my dad had done over my heart and uh, I said to him you know hi you know Anna it's mummy you know what's going on I don't know I don't know Anna what's going on and he's five at this stage at, at, at this age and um, I don't know Anna you do what's going on and he paused and he says well clearly I'm having a health expression <laughs> And I said, and I said, yay, buddy, health expression, what's it about? I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) Yes, you do. Physical, chemical, or emotional, what is it? And he paused and he said, it's physical. 
Awesome. Health expression, physical body. What's the physical about? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you do. What's it about? And we home educate our children. And I always would take them to the Alex Skate Park, um, you know, in the mornings when I skate. And he goes, and he says to me, Mum, that middle ramp. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, you know how I haven't got down it? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, I think I'm going to grow in my strength and I'm going to get down the ramp. And I put my, my hand went onto his forearm just a little bit stronger and, I, and a little bit firmer with the assurity of what my next yeah. response was going to be was, Adam, do you think or do you know? And he stopped and he went, I know, Mum. And I went, good job, buddy. Health expression, physical body, growing your strength, down the ramp. <laughs> and then I adjusted him, kissed him. Two days later, he was down the ramp. Now, that could have been a really different picture, couldn't it, in another household where we are taught to toe the line, that it's all about how we feel, so therefore pain, signs, symptoms, that we have to remove because our body is incomplete in some way versus this kid, the body is complete. He's got all the answers. I'm just going to help guide him with some key questions to help him come to that reassurance that this is going to give him something that's going to help him grow. So what does a normal mum do? I mean... <laughs> Because our method of adjusting is probably not yours. We'd put a few more pillows on the bed. Like, yeah. That's the adjustment. But that's a good adjustment, isn't it? Mm. Maybe if that's what they want, if they want the pillow, if they want the blanket over them, but or if they so don't true. want the blanket think, over them. I think what I've learnt from you guys, particularly, and, and Karen and I probably would say we're newer to this than, than what you guys have been brought up with, what I've really learnt from you guys is actually asking my children as well, mm-hmm. rather than me diagnosing mm-hmm. or thinking because they've got this. Like I just did with, like, you know, kids will always try and get a day off school, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I've learned to build a relationship of trust with my children. If you really believe, like I just went into Taylor, are we well enough for school today? Because I think it's really important we go. And she knows she's got an assignment, she's got to get in there. She goes, Mum, I just don't have the energy. What do you need? I just need to rest, were her exact words. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what, what do you need to be comfortable? She goes, I need a smoothie with cinnamon in it. Mm-hmm. She's already, I mean, cinnamon is such a beautiful yep. Uh, spice to use mm-hmm. anyway and particularly for upset tummy and she's got peppermint oil in there vaporizing she's already done it so i kind of go you know there is an innate intelligence that sometimes mm-hmm. we override with our fear mm-hmm. of making it right so i don't have a fear my children both know that they can come to me and we call it a a, a, a mental health day sometimes where we just have a day sometimes where we need to rest the mm-hmm. body because mm-hmm. one thing i'm a little bit which i'm wondering if you can help me and i know we get into the close of this but Karen and Cindy and I have always talked about the mind and all of that and and the the attachment to the body or, or the, the way that the mind affects the body. Mm-hmm. But what I feel I've got from you right now is, is I, I've kind of started to put the mind first, that the mind is creating a lot of the problems and things. And now speaking with you, I think it's almost, correct me if you're thinking everyone wrong, but it's like the body is almost up there as well, that the body talks to you in a way that if the mind doesn't override it with its own negative thoughts or interpretations, then would you say that the two work symbiotically together? Yes. Okay, great. It's both ways. There is no one's better than... It's brain to body and body back to brain. That's the clear communication of the central nervous system and then the peripheral nervous system that goes out to all the organs and tissues and cells to keep it functioning at its best. So we choose to perceptually see something within our environment and then in perceptually choosing to see that, we then create the opportunity to have that health expression, you know, change in whichever way, shape or form um, we want that to change, that we get to govern that. So there is no... 
there's no one is better or more important than the other. They no, both speak yeah. to each other. Yeah, yeah. Then is that yeah. is that is this vitalism and mechanism? Is, is could you explain a bit more? Yeah, essentially what. Essentially, what I've gone through there is the the vitalistic understanding is the alternate. We didn't dig into deep into into that one. Suffice to say that it is about you know a self healing, self regulating organism that's constantly adapting to their environment. At the central piece of that is the nerve system that it is the master communicating system of the body. Any interference to that or any roadblocks that's going to create then those signs and symptoms that drop us below that line to create those unhealthy. Uh, thoughts all those unhealthy opportunities which are again opportunities to then ask different questions to guide us in a in a different direction as opposed to something to be avoided so the body in the alternate understanding is perfect that it, that it, it it governs itself by the definition of optimum physical mental and social well-being and not necessarily the absence of disease or infirmity because we have if we look outside of the body and we look at the world then we see construction and destruction we see light and dark we see male and female we see um, you know black and white and it's the same in the body that we have a positive and we have a negative to it two positives and negative make the whole so we can't have one without the other so we have toxic and tonic reactions in the body we have sodium and potassium pumps one's positive charged one's negative charged crossing cell membranes um we have cell growth and cell death occurring at the exact same time. So the question begs to be asked, then why wouldn't we think about health being that way too? Why is it that if we have a hole and we have health on one half and we have disease on one half, on the other half, that for majority of people in society, we just put our hand over that disease one and say, we don't want to look at that. So we do everything to avoid it. I'm saying and suppress no, it. And suppress it. Mm. So I'm saying, no, take your hand off. Let's look at the whole. Let's look at why the body creates those opportunities to express itself in different ways. Even though it's uncomfortable, that's when we look at the border of chaos in order to have that growth opportunity. Mm. So is cancer perfect? Yes. Yeah. Why it, wouldn't it be? Well, I would imagine someone listening to this that has cancer would not agree with you. So how do we give them that thought that cancer is a perfect health expression? I think it goes back to the questions that you asked. Yeah. Um, you know, where was it? Where, where did I create it as opposed to how did I get it? Can I just, just yeah. interject, cut, yeah, interject yeah. just a bit? The alternate says you take total responsibility mm -hmm. for everything that happens in your body and your life. The allopathic says you take no responsibility for everything that happens in your life and your and and your body and everything like that. That's that's the extreme. Am I? Am they're, I right? They're the antithesis. The antithesis. Yeah. So, what? Um, I, I just wanted to make that clear because people listening to this and hearing is perf is cancer perfect. In my way of thinking, it's very perfect because it's an opportunity to change. Absolutely. Because you got the cancer because of the lifestyle you had and what you were doing and what you were thinking and what you were feeling and all of that. And for me, it's an opportunity to change. Would you? Yes, I agree. What I agree. about but a two-year-old child getting it, though? Yeah, I was going to say, I would, but I would question the readiness of a cancer patient to actually yes. hear that. Agreed, yeah. agreed. Um, and so I just, I, just, I just actually want to say that if there is anybody out there listening to this podcast right now who either has cancer or who has somebody close to them with cancer, hear this through the ears of potentiality, hear this through the ears of a new possibility to explore rather than a reason to um, either give up or to change your treatment or to um, uh, lay blame. I think it's really important that we see this as a new possibility for exploration um, that 
has weight, that has value, that has validity and has greatest import, greatest of importance um, on it that we do explore it because mm. when a person has cancer, and I've just had a very, very close friend of mine go through it, when a person has cancer, the fear that becomes present removes the person's ability to think intelligently and clearly mm. for themselves, therefore ask those questions mm. on how did I create it? Mm -hmm. And I think that the allopathic method of, of dealing with it perpetuates that mm -hmm. fear. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I just, I really just wanted to make that, I just really wanted to say that because I'm just instantly, I'm in the soul and the skin of my very dear friend and I know I've, I've actually had the conversation with her where I've given her a journal and I've given mm -hmm. her pens and I've said, empty what's between your two ears, empty it. Mm -hmm. Thinking that's the first place to start but she's, there's no way she's ready mm -hmm. to accept that anything she's thought, anything she's I think she's you've raised a really good point there, Karen, because a lot of the mums that come to me, uh, I call it scissoring. They're, they see the triangle, they see health in the middle, they see the allopathic, the alternative, and the alternate. And like I said right at the beginning, they want to go to somewhere else, but they're too scared. They it's don't know what so it looks wrong. like. I, I, yeah. What are they going to tell me? What are they going to do? And, and will I be empowered in that model or will I not be? So it's easier to fall back into our history than kind of step forward into the mystery. Especially in crisis. And, yeah, oh, totally. yeah. And that's where um, I call it scissoring because they, they'll kind of like... Like take the steps out and I'll take a look on something that might not be um, so, yeah. so, uh, um, I guess, yeah, too bad or, mm. or however we shape bad, mm. but too um, dramatic. Mm. And then they'll step back. So they might not do um, Bongello for teething. And then they'll go, oh wow, that was that was that was great. Uh, I can I could do something else now. Or they might not do the medication for a fever. Oh wow, that got that was great. Um, so they, <laughs> they survived. They yeah, survived. <laughs> they do this kind of scissoring scissoring action. But I've always said um, to mums that if you can uh, if you can make sure the child is adjusted first and foremost. You know, that's at the 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 bottom is to make sure that we have this clear communication within um, in our body and our nervous system, and then. When you can allow a child to move through and not deny them that opportunity to grow, shift, change and transform in their own skin, then watch post, like for you, Kim, watch post 10 days. Because within those next 10 days, that's when you're going to see the major shifts occur. With the kids. You're gonna, yeah. They're either going to grow, they'll uh, more dexterous, coordination will change, move on from friends, choose different language, identify with different foods. Mm -hmm. um, how old are they? 13 and 14. Okay, so the first seven years of life are about the physical body. The next seven years of life are about the chemical. Now they're on that cusp of shift of going into the emotional. When they get to 21, it will go back to the physical, then it will go to the emotional, and then it will go to the... Uh, sorry, they're on chemical, and then it will go to the emotional. And you see it in kids, don't you? First seven years of life, so physically active, mm. running everywhere. Then they go to the chemical body, get more sedentary, cell stacking, I call it. For boys that go... And girls, that pudge that yeah. people say. And I never wanted to say to our kids you're getting pudgy on your stomach like that wouldn't be very kind would it so i called it cell stacking i'm like mate it's important to cell stack before you have the stretch so our 10 year old's just gone through his cell stacking and now he's stretching and they do don't they they, they, they do they do this outward yeah. and then they go whoop, yeah and then up. you go into the 
next one, which is all about the independent, you know, oh, sorry, and that, the chemical one's all about puberty and, and, and that. Oh, and then you yeah. go on to the emotional part, which mm-hmm. is, I love you, but I don't want to be near you. It's your car, <laughs> but it's my car. I want your money, but I need a job. You know, it's all that independence. <laughs> I want freedom, stuff. but I don't want to have to go yeah. out and just pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to 21 and the physical starts again. I want to, you know, get buffed and shined. I'm going to go to the gym. I want to catch a mate. <laughs> and then you go into the next. Or 10. Yeah. yeah. And then the next one is the, the chemical part of it which is reproduction and oh my gosh what am I going to do and my clock's running out and then you go into the independence again which I'm having a midlife crisis (laughs) that explains the Ferrari (laughs) when are you getting it? I'll stand by and um, and then it just, you know, and then it just, it, it <laughs> and then it circles. Is, is back in yeah, the it's, it's, it just circles around. Can we come back to that cancer question? I just really think we need to, we need to finish it. Um, in terms oh, of is cancer yeah. perfect, and yeah. I'm really sorry to do that because we're having such a fun moment. No, no but, it's but it's very important, and 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 I think because we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I really want to get your view yeah. on what you think about Kim's question around is is it perfect, and and I th- I think it all goes back to where you where you fit into the. The, the triangle, like where are you wanting to enter into the health arena? If you're entering it from an allopathic understanding, that's the beliefs, that's the mindset, that's the language you use, that's what you know and what you feel most comfortable in, then it's something that you've got. It's random. If you're over here in the alternate area where you come from that perfect understanding that I am a human being that's adapting to my life and I do take full responsibility for what you know happens within that, that that there is no such thing as luck or unlucky, then it's something that you created. And they're two, again, they're two really different approaches to health. And polar opposites. So Absolutely mm. the antithesis. And the perfection of the cancer over here is that we have cancer cells inside of us. Right now I have cancer cells. You have cancer cells. You have cancer cells. Cindy has cancer cells. And what we do in terms of how we perceptually see, which was your understanding, what we were talking about before, whether we separate the mind from the body, and it's not we perceptually see our environment. In perceptually seeing our environment, that alters our physiology. In altering our physiology, we alter how we express our health. So therefore, in an alternate approach to health, it's based on how you are seeing your world. And how you are seeing your world then creates whatever it is whether it's a stomach um upset like kim and the and the kids and 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 danny had had with the vomiting or whether it's cancer Mm. the the spectrum is so broad but because there's a charge in our community in an indoctrinated system around cancer Mm. it seems incomprehensible Mm. that someone would create it and i think that's that's the key i think because like cancer is so life-threatening it go, it's in direct contravention to the human instinct for survival. So I think that's why most people would think, well, I would never create something like this where I would die. I mean, I've got little kids. I've got responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I would never create something like this. So because I didn't first... create it, I need to go and find somebody who can fix it. One of the first questions we asked... <laughs> Sorry, Cindy. <laughs> oh, no, one that's right. The... I was just thinking, you know, one of the things you say is that I had to put a bomb under myself in order to get the answer. Look, <laughs> no, and I get that. No, yeah. I really do yeah. get that. And I really do get what we're talking about here. I do get it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm looking at people who are very who close to me okay. and also our listeners who are not there. And yeah. I'm just, 
I guess my curiosity is peaked because, um, you know, and, and I'm working with this work 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week, and these people are incredibly close to me, mm. and I can't get them to create that shift where they see mm. it from a different perspective because they're so very much connected and attached to the, um, I didn't create this, there's no way I would create this, therefore if mm. I didn't create it, something else did, so something else is going to have to fix it. And that's very much their way of thinking. And I can't get them across the line. I can't get them to the other side of the spectrum where yeah. they can see they have a say, therefore influence their health mm. and not land up in a position where they land up in a box. But isn't you know? that perfect in it's itself? True. Like, I'm, oh, I'm not look, trying to be... Is, I know it's but when it's hard. family, oh, I you know, you really... It's, it's I think hard, the biggest... So. The, the, probably one of the greatest assistance that you could give to them is take them back to identify what their frame of reference is for health because that's going to be your starting point yeah and then going because because to say to them there's this whole different model it's too big it's it's too big for um the mothers that come to vital mums you know we're still they're still doing the scissoring and that's okay mm. you know but if we can if we can work out what the frame of reference is that's always the first thing i'll work with with the mum what, what do you think health is and where do you think it comes from and, and who taught you that and, and how, how indoctrinated is, is it into your being? And from there, Karen, then you can help them do those little questions that's going to slowly start to undo the Pandora's box and then lid it when it gets too fast and then slowly start to pry mm -hmm. it open. But start with that, how are they seeing health? Because mm -hmm. to go right to here... It's too. It, it's too. It, even though we've it's spoken like about, it, yeah. yeah. Even like, though we've yeah. spoken about it today, you know, it's a it's a massive paradigm shift to to take, and and that's that's one of the reasons I think the alternative approach is there, mm. is because it's a safe place to go it's when you first. Yes, yeah. it's a halfway when you first journey. Um, out of that for, for a lot of people. So Beautiful answer. Thank you. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That was Thank a perfect you. answer because it is hard to know. Like I'm, I'm in the alternate um, and I have been. I was brought up in the alternate. I don't know anything else. And, and Which is why she's such a tart <laughs> and so forthright in her opinions. <laughs> No, we love it. I love, oh my gosh, I love how you preface that with that's why she's such, such a tart. tart. Yeah. But I, I see this. Opinions in tart. How did that go to yeah, I know. Do you know, I had no idea thinking to myself, why? I thought you were going to say such a tyrant about yeah. health and nutrition, you know, but no, tart. But I, I notice, what I do is I notice it on Facebook when we're having yes. conversations, conversations on Facebook. Mm. And the conversations, they cannot believe that. Like the, the conversation last night was about, um, you know, if someone comes to you with heart disease, if you're a nutrition student, then there would be three things after looking at the diet that you would look at. And that is go to low fat, start eating margarine, and instead of drinking that Coke, do diet Coke. Oh, stop it. This was mm. the conversation that was at, at a nutrition school, um, a university, and I threw it up on Facebook. And... The opinions were like, well, isn't Diet Coke better than Coke? You know, the, you know like I'm going, the, the body's in crisis. You can't just go to <laughs> Diet Coke. But, diet. but isn't that what you talk about with the pig feeds? With, yeah. with, with, uh, yeah, with children just... that are sick or people that are sick, that, that there's mushed up. Chicken nuggets basically is going into yeah, their body basically. in the hospital. Yeah. Um, look, we have come to the oh, end. And we could just, I <laughs> Can you just finish one question we didn't answer, okay. just yes. for people to, to understand very quickly, mm -hmm. what is chiropractic? Mm -hmm. 
and is there better chiropractors? Is there an association? How does someone find a good chiropractor? Um, you can go to vitalminds.com to find a chiropractor. And a chiropractor is a, is a health professional who works directly with the nerve system that sees your body as uh, complete and uh, understands that you are um, a self-healing, self-regulating organism that's constantly adapting to your environment. It's not an adjunct to anything. It's not a modality. It's uh, it's purely and a, it's a pure and separate profession in and of itself. And uh, it's amazing the exodus that's happening from the allopathic profession at the moment in terms of the health shift. And the number one place that they're going to is to chiropractors. And that's not only for themselves as parents but for their children from newborns up to the age of 18 to, to make sure that their kids are functioning at a higher level. So it's uh, Vital Mums would be the best place to go to find out. And spell that because... Oh, Vital Mums. Yeah. Um, vital, V-I-T-A-L-M-O-M-S dot com. You can get there with the English yeah. spelling as well. But oh, can, you can. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, M-U-M-S. So Vital Moms and yeah. Vital Mums. Yeah, yeah. Okay. either way. And, we'll get you there. and just Dot clarification. Com. Yeah. An adjustment as opposed to a manipulation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I find, that, I find it intriguing when people say that um, chiropractors manipulate because I always go directly into who would want to be manipulated. Like, I just don't understand that whole vernacular to describe something. Lie down and I'll manipulate you. I just, it just, yeah. it just goes against my being. And adjustment, um, when we break down that word in Latin, Kim, ad means move to, just means centre, meant means mind. Move the mind back to centre. Oh, so. stop it. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ad uh, means? Ad means, ad means ad, just means, or move to, just means centre. Or balance, meant means mind. Move the mind to centre. So Shut the front door. The podcast done. <laughs> yeah, but that's what it is. It's it's bringing everything back to centre. Oh, that's, that's, that's why treat. That's why balance. That's why treatment is dealing with the mind. Adjustment is moving the mind back to centre. So rather than remember we did that um, health and disease. Let's cover up the disease. Don't want it. We're like no. Let's let's bring that mind back to centre so that you can see health and disease as necessary parts mm. of the one whole. Mm. Sarah, would you come back again? Because oh, I yeah. feel like there's another conversation here, <laughs> a bigger yeah. conversation. Maybe yeah. something about helping mums yes. or, or parents. I can I feel a whole to. conversation around health. Yeah. Um, I think there's heaps more. We've, we've lo- I've loved it. Thank you. Yeah, it's oh, been you're amazing. welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, it <laughs> has. It's been absolutely amazing. We've had lots of questions answered, and as Kim said, that we've got even more questions now. <laughs> and I think that um, to, to have somebody of your calibre and your experience and qualification to be able to give us such incredible input, not only as individuals, but as people out there who are creating a ripple effect through our kids and through the people in our lives, I think it's really um, it's inspiring and it's empowering. Mm-hmm. And I certainly feel like that after this podcast. And I'm sure our listeners feel the same way because we've been... It's almost like we're given back our innate sense of, of capability. And I, I, I think there's nothing more powerful than that. So come on um, uh, online and join us. Go to the Up For A Chat Facebook page, which is all the W's, facebook.com forward slash Up For A Chat, and post your comments about this podcast and Sarah's thoughts and, and, and where she comes from. Also, go to the wellnesscouch.com. 
forward slash up for a chat where you can post your comments and questions there again. We're always online. We're constantly interacting with you guys. So please feel free to hang out with us. We can't wait. So join us here as your professional reminders again on Up For A Chat next week and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Brett Hill from That Paleo Show here. Would you like to dedicate 10 hours to yourself to get your nutrition, your exercise, and your mindset all on track? Would you like to do it with the wellness guys, the Up For A Chat girls, and over 500 other wellness enthusiasts? Then you have to join us Saturday, August the 17th at Crown Melbourne for our next wellness summit. We'd love to see you there. For great group discounts and to secure your spot, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com.